Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshaw.net. Live poetry reading, children's school lives report on preschool to primary school transition. I'm a big fan of the children's school lives reports that come out every uh, so often uh, with different perspectives on children's school lives, as you might expect, where they take um, a segment or a, or a theme on children's school lives and uh, make a report based on this longitudinal study, I think as they, they call it. Um, I like to do um, a bit of a live reading of uh, the uh, studies if they interest me. I did one the last time on the third report. This is their fourth report. Um, and it's they're generally quite short, uh, but uh, full of really interesting information. And a lot of what I like in this is in the unsaid. Um, big fan of uh, Jennifer Simmons and her work and her team. Uh, so let's, without further ado, get into this report and see what it has to say. Hello, hello. You are very welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshaw.net. This is Simon Lewis speaking. Um, if I Were the Minister for Education is a weekly podcast where I go through uh, the tales of the week in the world of primary education. And sometimes I look at different reports, different circulars or different themes. And I say what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. What I really love about the children's school lives, uh, longitudinal study is um, how they take a theme each time and in this case it is the preschool to primary school transition and it's really interesting how they've uh, talked to parents and to educators about that transition and what are the things that stand out to me. Now I'm not quite sure if the uh, intention of the researchers is for me to analyze them from my lens and my lens usually comes uh, with a particular direction, but I'm going to do that anyway. I often notice things that may, I suppose, may or may not have been um, put in there deliberately um, or maybe accidentally. So there's a number of researchers in this who I feel should be named because it is their work uh, under the careful uh, tutelage or careful leadership, let's say, of uh, Jennifer Simmons, a fantastic Irish researcher um, who is always uh, coming out with interesting things. So the names of the people involved in this uh, are um, S. Sloan, D. Divine, uh, G. Martinez-Sains, uh, Jennifer Simmons herself, uh, M. Crean, B. Moore, A. Davies, E. Farrell, J. Farrell, T. Blue, E. Tobin, J. Hogan. So these are all the people that were involved in this particular uh, study. I don't know what the initials stand for, uh, to be honest with you, but you should be named and celebrated because this is good research. Um, and it's a beautiful coloured uh, pamphlet. If you haven't seen it or you don't know where to find it, I'll put the link in the show's notes. Um, it's a lovely PDF about uh, 36 or so pages long. And I suppose what we're kind of interested in is the findings of this report. Um, I don't tend to um, read the forewords and things like that because they generally just introduce uh, the idea of the whole thing. But um, I might whisk through it, I suppose, in a way, just for those of you who don't know much about the Children's School Lives study. It's basically um, studying the lives of four, about 4,000 children in 189 primary schools throughout Ireland. And they're basically gathering data 
on the children. Um, basically, last uh, time the report was about junior infants, uh, and it also spoke about the teachers that teach junior infants and about them in a certain way. And there was aspects of that that I found really, really interesting, um, as you can well imagine. And p- feel free to hunt back to my live poetry readings of the CSL studies and see what you think. Um, so this report itself, and as I said, I am uh, going through um, this live, uh, so you'll hear a lot of as and a lot of stutters and all the rest of it. Um, and I guess um, we won't go through any of the methodologies or anything like that. We'll go straight into the actual study itself with some of the results. And um, I guess we'll quote some of the quotes that are there and if there's anything that comes in interesting as well. So the first section really is on preschool. Um, this may not be, I guess, of interest to people in primary school, but I often find when you look at preschool, there's, um, you know, the, 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 the correlation between what happens at preschool and junior and senior infants, you know, is it can't be ignored. And we as, a, as, as an entity, as primary school teachers, we do tend to ignore what goes on in preschool. And you'll see this, particularly when it comes to the transition a bit later on. I, I did have a little sneak peek. So it's not quite a live poetry reading, let's say, but um, it, I am, I'm recording it live. So I'm not uh, recording it off notes. I'm really going through this document. But um, I suppose we'll start off with uh, some of the findings of preschool and very interesting for us in primary level and that's where I'm going to sort of direct it to. Um, 99% of children in junior infants, by the way, reported that their child had attended an early year setting prior to starting primary school. So, I mean, this is a very big change in the last decade or two, uh, particularly thanks to the ECI model as it's known, the early childhood I don't know what this other C is, um, sort of setting. Um, and basically, um, there was an average of 20 hours a week spent in preschool. So in many ways, um, I think it's really interesting. Oh, but there's the um, acronym there for me. The Early Childhood Care and Education is what ECI stands for. I've learned something new already. Um, but basically, in this ECI setting, there's been an average of 20 hours per week. Now, ECI will give you 15 hours of free preschool uh, for every child in the country. So uh, parents are obviously paying the extra uh, for 20 hours a week at least. Um, sorry, on average. Um, and that's really interesting for us as primary school teachers, because before pri- uh, preschool was a, was a big deal, let's say, um, what we used to do in primary school, um, and some primary schools still do this, is on the very first week, they gradually built up the time for uh, the new juniors infants to come into primary school so they might do an act two hours a day for the first week and then three hours and then four you know this kind of thing now i don't know um if this is if it was a regular thing but because children have been in preschool 99 percent of them in it they don't really need it anymore i mean you're in um junior infants for four hours and 15 minutes a day uh these days and to be honest with you that's uh just above the average of 20 hours a week so finishing early uh for the first week doesn't seem to make much sense given that what you're doing in the first couple of weeks of junior infants isn't really that much different to what happens in preschool lots of play-based learning now, um, basically, what did we say? So it says here that almost all parents of children of junior infant classes, 
that's 94% had actually accessed the ECI program. So the other 5% there must have uh, done some other preschool kind of thing. So it's kind of interesting and um, useful to know. One of the things uh, the parents uh, spoke about uh, was the value of attending preschool for their child. And they highlighted the opportunity to spend time in the preschool. And that's very different because I think, um, and I found this myself, and I'm going to maybe talk about myself as a dad here more so than a principal sometimes. I found it very odd, <laughs> to be honest with you, that I was um, I went in to the preschool to pick up my child every day and I would talk to the member of staff, the educator there, um, every day and they would tell me how long he'd slept for. They'd tell me what he'd eaten. They told me what he'd done. If he was injured, they'd tell me about the extent of the injury and I'd have to sign some. You know, there's a lot of me communicating with the staff and that's very different to primary school. I mean, and a very, and a vast difference. And I'm not sh- I mean, I know I get it because um, the children go from a preschool of eight to one average or twelve to one uh, with a with an adult, and there isn't particular times where you uh, where parent, where children are picked up. So not everybody's coming at the same time, uh, and in. At primary school that's different you have 25 26 children in the class with one adult and everyone's picked dropped off and picked up at the same time so i can understand that but um it does say here that interview data also hinted at parental expectations for primary school and the role of preschool in preparing their children for that so they wanted the preschool to teach children how to behave in primary school so learning how to sit still which is a very odd thing to want a child to do in junior infants. It seems to be them projecting their own expectations of primary school. I don't know too many primary school junior infant teachers who expect the children to sit still, which is uh, really interesting. And it also, I suppose, uh, maps onto when we're talking about uh, primary school to secondary school, that transition. It's kind of interesting that there's a huge amount of expectation from parents and we feel it and they say it, that we need to be preparing children for, for secondary school when they're in sixth class, so giving them loads of homework. In some cases, being meaner to them. <laughs> I'm not joking. It's kind of funny. Like, you know, you kind of hear parents, you know, you got to get them ready. You know, if they're if they're acting up, you got to be stricter on them and so on. Or you, and I've heard of teachers who, who do do that. Like, and they, they, you know, they put them children in rows of seats instead of groups, or they make sure that the uniform rules are less relaxed and things like that. That's obviously, you know, I'm referring to things I've heard um online it's very odd why can't the children just be who they are at the age that they're at but it's kind of funny you know i i, I kind of find uh, i suppose what preschool to pri- uh, junior infants transitions they have this expectation that children need to sit still in uh, primary school and uh, uh, parents also have the expectation that children need a huge amount of homework uh, to get them ready for secondary school but it's uh, it's kind of uh, funny so that's just really a little bit about preschool to junior infant transition kind of short i suppose and sweet um but uh kind of interesting and nice so i suppose this might be a nice uh, episode <laughs> i might speak too soon because <laughs> the next section is called school choice two words that will make my blood boil but let's hear what school choice because i'm really interested in what parents think about school choice so um when it talked about school choice it talks about what parents thought. And this is really, really interesting. And here's a summary and I'll read all these points and I'll comment on them. So the most important factor in primary school choice for parents appeared to be the school's reputation or having a recommendation. That's really interesting. So it wasn't their local school. Parents actually care 
about the reputation of or of a school, which is, is really weird because all schools basically are the same. I mean, there aren't many differences really in schools apart from what God they make you, you know, believe in or not. Um, but it says 79% of parents reported this factor was very important in their school choice. So they would drive by a school that they perceived wasn't very good and a further 19% somewhat important. So that meant that 98% of parents think a school's reputation is really important. Now that's really, that's that's mind-blowing to me, to be honest with you. I would not have expected that. 98, almost every parent thinks, it looks for a school's reputation. They are looking for this myth of the good school. If you think back oh, years ago in this podcast, I think it was episode four, a long, long time ago uh, in this podcast. I think I've done over 200 episodes at this stage. That episode four was about this myth of the good school, how parents think there's such a thing as a good school. And, and while we do know this exists, there is a hierarchy in every town of, what school is the best school to send your child to? And I, I, I'm not naive. I've seen the mammy groups out there and they say, oh, that's a good school. This is a good school. And this is a, and you can see it in the um, merry-go-round of which school, you know, gets the best reputation. But it's, it's bizarre, like, because all schools are pretty much the same. And reputation is a really interesting one. You know, if we think back to... Um, some of the things I've talked about WSEs, I often think that they're pointless because who really reads them? But if reputation seems to be a thing, maybe it does matter. I don't know. I mean, does local local reputation mean a lot? It obviously does. Gosh, that surprised me. And it's a bit worrying because it's it's nonsense. You know, pretty much all schools are the same. It's, you know, I think if you're a parent listening to this, you might want to rethink your whole thing about the reputation because schools are pretty much the same thing. So what we had then next was the school being local or close to home was very important to only 61% of parents and somewhat important for 32. Also, it was still 93% important. Well, that's good. I'm a bit relieved by that, that closeness to home, but still only nine, I would suggest only 93%. For me, well, maybe a while actually, to be fair, no, I definitely would have said it was somewhat important for me. The fact was, I couldn't do that in my own case as a dad. Like, I would have loved uh, my son to go to his local school. But it was impossible because they indoctrinate the children in Catholicism. And I certainly couldn't allow that on our moral conscience. Um, and therefore, he didn't go to his local school. Um, but I would still have said it was important. It would have been a fantastic um, thing. And maybe parents didn't really think of that. And I think, I have a feeling this might be a theme that people don't think of the religious connotation, which talks to me a little bit about our last episode where I spoke about, uh, well, not the last episode, but a few weeks ago when I talked about Father Sheehy's sermon and how I defended that because he was simply expressing the Catholic message that most people don't seem to think is the message that's been taught in schools. Um, the similarly issues related to school facilities were rated very important by 60% of parents, um, we'll look at the, who said that was so much. So they like schools with facilities. I don't know what that means. Does that mean a new school? It probably does make a bit of sense. If you've got a brand new building, it's attractive. And I've seen that in my own town um, and um, where a brand new school building is attractive um, and it does uh, bring people to it. And the language of instruction was noted as very important by 44% of people. That's an odd one. So I presume in this case it was English or Irish. Um, 
And I, I often find, <laughs> I'm going to say it, do you know, the people that seem to love Irish, do you know, it's so important. It's such an important, I'm so passionate about the Irish language. You know what? I want my Mary, I want my Johnny to go to a Gwale skull because the Irish language is so important to me. I didn't get the chances as they beat their chest like I'm beating it now. I don't know if it picked up on the microphone. Oh, I think it's so important. And then they go to sixth class and it's going to secondary school and they don't go to the Gwale Colossus. No, 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 because the Irish gets too hard. That's how much they love the Irish language. I, I, I'm beginning to think I'm going to be a bit cynical about this. What was I saying about this being a positive episode? I don't know. About a quarter of parents, 24%, said that their child's friendships were an important factor in school choice. That's interesting. It's only a quarter. So the friendships they build up, they build in preschool um, might make a choice for where they go to primary school. Um, but as opposed to 37% who said the child's friendships weren't important at all. Um, in my case, I suppose it, it was the case. Uh, I mean, he was always going to go to um, the Educate Together school because, you know, the religion thing. So therefore, friendships couldn't have been important. It would have been nice, um, but um, it wasn't at all important. Um, interesting, though, how uh, friendships are cemented by one in four par- parents. Like the minute you go to preschool, they're your friend. They're, that, that's, your, you know, they make a choice based on friendships. Again, an interesting, yeah, it's kind of an interesting one. I'm not sure how that affects primary education, but interesting. And then it says here, parents are almost equally split on the importance of school ethos. However, this may reflect the limited options available to parents given 90% of primary schools in Ireland are under Catholic patronage. So it's an, inter- it's an interesting conclusion um, that they were split based on the fact that they've limited um, options. I'd love to know if they had have explored that more, where, where they would have got to. I personally to have a different theory. And I think a lot of parents want to send their kids to Catholic schools for a couple of reasons. One, they've bought into the myth that Catholic schools are good schools. And you hear that a lot from the um, likes of the right-wing groups out there when they're defending denominational education. They say, well, I mean, if you look at the UK, I mean, look at Catholic schools in the UK. They're good schools. They always come out with the top marks and so on. So this this, this kind, of, uh, it kind of moves into the uh, Irish context where people have bought into this lie that Catholic schools are good schools. Because I don't think Catholic schools are bad schools, by the way. I just think all schools are are good. You know, there, there aren't actually all schools are the same. I'm not saying there's no bad schools out there. Obviously, you can get bad management and so on. But they're few and far between. Most schools are the same. Um, and so I'd suggest that that's, I wouldn't say it's a high percentage. But the other thing, and I think this is what the most important thing is, is really because they don't care. They don't care because they probably went to Catholic schools themselves and it did them no harm at all. So ultimately, I would I don't know what they said. I'll have a look. Uh, we'll look into this a little bit more before I draw any conclusions because uh, we have a nice little table here. Um, really interesting that uh, reputation wasn't important for only 2%. It's, I'm, I'm still blown away by that. It's, it's amazing that parents will go by reputation. Um, maybe it just sounds good. I... I just don't believe. I, I, maybe it's because I, 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 there was never, in my mind, um, any other school where my son was going to go to, um, and if it wasn't, if you know, like let's say all things being equal and all schools are run by the same people, I would just go to his local school. Like that's what I'd want. Why would anyone not want that? And it just goes to show that we're so embedded 
in this idea of choice, even though choice causes so many problems, it's going to be very difficult to move away from that if 98% of parents, if that is the most important thing um, to parents, um, that they have choice, because the perception that schools are good, bad, on this sort of invisible mammy or daddy league table um, is very interesting. Uh, there's a competitiveness then, um, which, is, which is not a good thing in my opinion. Um, I think it's really worth exploring a bit further for anyone who's interested in exploring those things. Um, we talked about the local nearest school facility in school. We talked about the child's siblings go there. That Interestingly, and this is what's bizarre, is only like compared to, I would have thought that would be more important. Like that would be 100% important. And then maybe some of the people that said it isn't important only had one child. It's hard to tell in that one, but that's the only reason I could think of why you would set, why you'd send siblings to different schools. And the language used in schools we talked about, the gender of the school, that's interesting. And the gender of the school, um, now I'm not quite sure what it was meant by that. I assume that they picked the school based on it being a mixed school or a single sex school. And the figures aren't are kind of average about, you know, it's, well, no, about 70, 73% found it important enough. Um, you know, I, I would definitely be in that bracket, you know, I couldn't send my child to a single sex school. Um, we've talked about that a few times, but again, yeah, I don't think people care that much as much as we think about it. We've convinced ourselves that single sex schools are normal in some ways, um, even though they're absolutely abnormal. And Ireland uh, is very much an outlier in primary education for having single sex schools. The size of a school is an interesting one as well. Um, and it was seen as inc- very important, like 87%, basically. 87% of people find that r- important, the size of the school. So do people like big schools? Do people like small schools? I suppose people probably have, I don't know, I remember there was a trend, oh, we want a nice small school. I remember when we were starting off, people would say, oh, I just wanted a small school. And you're like, okay, that's fair enough. I mean, the difference between a small school and a big school, there's, it swings and roundabouts, you know, for all the good, you get all the facilities in a big school, you get all the, um, you know, there's more, more to do, there's more after school stuff, there's more, you know, I don't know, opportunities and all the rest of it. And then in a small school, I guess you've, I don't, to be honest with you, I suppose you're in a small community and I suppose there's a coziness around that. Um, but, um, you know, academically, they, they're the same, I suppose. Um, so that's the size of the school. Only 12% didn't find that important. The school's ethos was really interesting there. And I still, yeah, I'm baffled by that one. I think it's people don't care. It was very much one of those in the middle where only a third of people really cared, a third of people didn't care, and a third of people were somewhat cared. Yeah, I, I think it's down to apathy. I think it's down to this whole idea that people don't realise or don't understand what goes on in Catholic schools or don't want to know or don't care, I think, more so than anything else or don't see what goes in it. Um, so there's nothing more there that I can help for. My child's friends go there. We talked about that. Uh, linked to early years setting my child attends. Uh, that was seen as mostly unimportant, uh, but that may be because very few schools have um, an earlier setting in the school. I would imagine, I, I would say most of the children that are in the preschool setting in our, on our site come to the primary school there. And I'd imagine if you ask that in our school, let's say, it would be a much higher number. Um, the feeder to preferred secondary school. Now that I thought would be a bit higher, only like it was 50-50 roughly. Um, and maybe that's because a lot of primary schools aren't feeders for um, secondary schools these days or 
I don't know. It's an interesting question, but it was very 50-50. But even 50% of people are thinking of secondary school, even in junior infants. It's really interesting. Um, one Again, something worth exploring. Should we have feeder schools? Um, because, again, this this causes this elitism problem where or it causes a, a situation where people are forced to go to certain schools so they get to go to a secondary school of their choice no doubt that's a feeder school to a, a private school potentially i don't know maybe not maybe it isn't or the perceived good secondary school so you get a bit of, yeah you definitely get some elitism you get problems with uh, migrants not being able to attend the the good feeder school or whatever it might be or the good school secondary school there's a lot of uh, potential racism in that answer i would suggest this feeders i think feeder schools breed xenophobia racism uh, anti-traveler anti-special need um you know there's all that kind of stuff goes on i do not understand why we have feeder schools in ireland if we do if we have school choice we either have school choice or we don't have school choice and if we have school choice then we can't have feeder schools that's not fair um i would suggest um my partner or i went there is now i would have thought that would be a higher thing of importance but it's not at all yeah, seventy-two percent of people said that is not important at all. I went to school there, and um, is not a reason to send your child to the same school. I don't know if that says much about their bad experiences at primary school, but even you know, thirteen percent of people, because they went there, their child was going there. It's interesting at the same time. It offers after-school care. Now, I would have thought that would be really important for people, particularly people who work, but sixty-four percent say that's not important at all. Very interesting. Now, that might surprise primary schools who are desperately competing with their neighbouring school um, to provide after-school facilities. It's not as important as people think. And then finally, it has a special unit, I don't like that word, that my child will attend. And now 81% of people said no, and I would imagine that's because they didn't need it. It would seem bizarre of people. <laughs> it would seem bizarre with people, for people with uh, children of additional needs who wouldn't think it was important that the school had a special class. Uh, but I, I imagine that's the reason for that. So yeah, the interviews with parents confirm the importance. I, I, yeah, there are some uh, fox pops here um, of why in a reputation. So I'll read them all. Well, my relative recommended the school. We're only local as well, but I heard loads of great things from other people that attended this school. So I just thought it was a good choice. Um, so that's one person. Yeah, and when I listen to my friends talk about kids and they've said to me about the studies, that's a great school. Well, put it this way, I brag to my friends about what's available. It's the caring side. Some of my kids have been introduced to play therapy, the breakfast mornings, the parents' courses. I guess, okay. Comparing it to the likes of whatever city where I grew up in, I think there's an awful lot of involvement in after-school activities for kids here. Yeah, I, I don't know if any of those quotes really say much about reputation. It doesn't really give me anything. Um, we'll talk about other things here. Complexities over school choice in relation to gender and ethos also emerged in the case. So these are the two I was kind of interested in particularly um, because they were, I suppose, inconclusive. Uh, for one family, for example, in spite of some misgivings about the single sex context, they prioritised sending their child to the closest school, while for the second family, it was also guaranteeing access to the girls' Catholic secondary school, which influenced their choice. So this is that's two interesting points there. 
um, I would uh, say. So even though they didn't like single sex, the school was close by. And for the other one, uh, they wanted to get into this Catholic secondary school, which is a, a, a girls' secondary, Catholic secondary school, which is really interesting. And you wonder why. Uh, this person said, to be honest, it's just four meters away. All the girls around here are going to be coming here as well. I would have preferred a mixed school. Um, and this one, people have told me other parents I would talk to suggest regarding secondary school to start enrolling her now, which is mad. Okay, let's go on. Similarly, it says, similarly thinking ahead to secondary school was noted by this parent who chose to send her child to the local Gwale school. Oh, God. So this is for me, my blood boiling. I better put on my Gwale school voice. <laughs> but I think it's great that by the time she goes to secondary school, she'll have a good bit of Irish, yeah? Maybe it's an extra subject that she won't have to worry about too much and she, she might be able to focus on other things as well. Going forward... It actually says going forward. Oh my God. <laughs> I can't believe it. I, I, I know they didn't put that in for me, but thank you. Thank you so much for actually including going forward because it sums it all up. It sums up, I would say, that parent very much for me that if you use that sort of language, there's a very good reason you are sending your child to the Gwell School. It's not because you love the Irish language. You are using the Gwell School for your child to get ahead in life because you are a snob. So thank you very much for that parent for making my point for me going forward. Parents' concerns about starting school, the next section. Um, now, I'm not sure how much this is. I suppose this is useful for primary school teachers uh, if, um, because, as I said, this podcast is mainly aimed at uh, the primary school end of things. And I suppose it's good to know what parents' concerned are, concerns are about uh, starting school. And I'll list the things that they are concerned about. I actually didn't think I'd get much out of this um, report, but I'm chatting for ages to here. I'm kind of half an hour into it and I'm not even halfway through. Um the parents' uh, concerns about starting school, there was uh, basically the main concern, which was about 60% of parents, was that their children would make friends. Ah, that's really nice. I think that was probably my concern too. That I thought he'd maybe, maybe be happy in school would be was my big thing or, and be able to make friends. And, you know, I think that's lovely. That's actually a nice little thing. It's nice to, nice to see that. In contrast, having friends already at the school is rated as a lower priority. Remember we said that about school choice. So it's kind of interesting that they didn't... Um, well, it wasn't a priority to send your child to uh, a primary school based on their friendship group in preschool. It still was important that they make friends. So that's kind of interesting as well. Class size and their child's level of independence was a concern for just over a third of parents, is something it said. And bullying and school avoidance were concerned for just over a quarter of parents. Fair, a lot, actually. One in four, um, which is kind of interesting. And uncertainty over the level of individual attention their child would get in larger junior infant class settings. So that's kind of interesting. So the people that were kind of, so the main thing by far was making friends, 59% of uh, parents. Class size was seen as another concern. So that's really interesting. Parents actually get very, very stressed by class size. And to be fair now, I mean, with, I mean, we're down to, and I'm not saying it's brilliant, I'm not giving praise at all to the government, but we are nearly down to, you know, nearly, we're, we're at 24 to one at the moment. So most classes in really big schools will be 24-ish children, you know, um, it's the small schools that have the big classes these days um, because they have to keep their numbers. 
um, artificially, you know, because if they lose a family, they could lose a teacher. So it's, I'm not having a big school, a small school to uh, fight here, but uh, you often hear of people saying, well, I want me to go to a nice small school because they'd have small class sizes. They tend not to um, anymore because of uh, cuts that Rory Quinn made to parent, uh, class teacher ratio and things like that. Um, but an interesting uh, um, kind of thing. It goes on to being independent, which is kind of similar to making friends, I'd suggest maybe. And then they're really worried about bullying not wanting to go to school or the amount of ten- attention their child will get um and they're all around the quote one and four it, i never worried about bullying um i did i have to have worried about the child not want, about him not wanting to go to school because <laughs> i i worked there and he kind of has to go and uh, there wouldn't be much he could do because he'd have to come anyway <laughs> but um anyway you know i can understand that one bullying i wasn't wasn't something i was concerned about there's a lot of talk of bullying and maybe that's the kind of thing um, cost of school supplies, which is the media's most biggest worry, is one in ten, which is interesting. The cost of school uniform, again, another uh, media. If it was the media were doing this, they would have said one hundred percent of parents are worried about these things. That was only eight percent. And whether the school was too strict, uh, gladly to see this, that it was only seven percent, or the work was too hard, only five percent. So kind of interesting, really. Um, and I like this little quote here. My hopes. Just that she's happy. That's the number one priority. Yeah, I don't mind what her grades are like or if she takes longer to learn certain things. That's okay. I love that. That's nice. That sums it all up. Um, I like that. So let's move to the transition to primary school. And this, I find, really interesting for primary school teachers here because I think it's where we might, we might, and I have to be critical of ourselves as a, as a group, is what do we bring to the table when it comes to transition from preschool to primary school? I know when it comes to secondary school, the secondary schools are pretty good. They come into our schools and they talk to all the children. They do the kind of um, the tour of the schools and they talk to all the children about, you know, what secondary school they might go to. Now that might be easier because there's fewer primary schools than there are preschools and it may be different. You don't know who's coming to you because there's no way of finding out. Well, this was there is, they, they enroll, don't they? So let's let's have a look and uh, because they were talked they talked to teachers here. This is the first time we're talking to teachers rather than parents. Um, and they basically the first thing was about the skills they expect children to have coming from preschool to primary school. And this is very interesting to me because um, if we go through them here and there's a bit of a graph um, self-care skills, okay, this is teachers, what they think a child should have for self-care. So that's like not having to change nappies, being able to go to the toilet, uh, being able to open their lunch and eat their lunch, being, you know, things like that uh, as self-care skills. That was expected by 100% of teachers. And it's something that I don't think 100%, I don't think most schools get anymore. And um, there are children coming into primary school in nappies. Um, or at least pull-ups and things like that. It's it's an interesting trend because that certainly in my generation, you know, 100% of children coming into school did have self-care skills. It's not something we can absolutely guarantee now, and um, but it's expected. So if we have that expectation and what we're getting isn't, we are going to obviously be disappointed as teachers. So what do we need to do in that case? Um, do we need to lower our expectation and get on with it or do we need to accept while we expect it you know we, we still expect it and if it isn't happening we should be getting extra supports to ensure that self-care skills are taken care of and i think that's uh, one for the, that's a that's an interesting debate that we certainly should be having 
and um, because 100% of children aren't coming in with self-care uh, skills um, and I'd uh, over I'd, I'd also say as well that in preschool if a child isn't I mean, to a point um, where there's whereas care care needs are there so above and beyond uh, let's say what a preschool uh, educator is able to do they would have a, a situation a thing called aim uh, which gives extra supports are needed in primary schools we've nothing like that a child with an aim support worker will um, get nothing uh, by default coming into primary school social skills we expect 99% of us expect children to have social skills coming to school and again we're only going to be disappointed. Same thing. Emotional maturity. 98% of us expect that. That's really interesting. I would be in the 2%. You know, I, I would like it. I wouldn't expect it now. Because it's just... I, like, the, actually, mm, as I'm talking, I mean, because I've been to preschool for two years, 99% of them went to preschool for two years, I suppose you would expect some form of emotional maturity, but not, not by all of the children. Um, you know, maybe 20 years ago when I started teaching and, and not uh, that many, not as many people went to preschool, you know, the first day of school was unbelievable. Like you'd so many tears from the children. There was lots of crying from children. You don't really get children crying coming to school on the first day anymore. They're used to going into school. Uh, let's move on there. Persistence or ability to concentrate. 84% of us expect that. That's nuts. I wouldn't expect a junior even to be able to concentrate coming to primary school. That's very odd. Um, fine motor skills. Again, 84% of it is expect um, children to have fine motor skills. Again, we're going to, we're setting ourselves up for <laughs> defeat here. Uh, gross motor skills, 81%. Uh, so around the same. And then it kind of moves away completely. Um, ability to count numbers. They don't expect that. Maybe 44%, which is high. 44% of us expect children to count numbers before they come. That Even our curriculum doesn't expect them to count numbers. Ability to recognise digits, only 33%. But still, that's high. Um, and only 5%... Oh, sorry, I'm... I'm where am I? Yeah. Um, sorry, 63% don't um, think they should. Um, sorry, the graph is a little bit diff tricky to read. Knowledge of animals, plants and the environment. Less, again... That's kind of odd. I would have expected them to have more of that knowledge than, let's say, counting or numbers. Um, ability to write some letters, only 14%. Okay, we're getting into... Now, I, I think... I, I, I mean, you just, it's not that I'd expect preschool to teach that, but um, I think a lot of children coming into school are able to maybe spe spell some of their name or recognise a couple or write a couple of letters just because you get a lot of practice at that um, in preschool anyway that it might be nonsense or scribbles and things like that but some of them will resemble letters I think and then the ability to read uh, some letters 13% expect that I, I don't know yeah I suppose there's a bit of work to do in primary school like educating what children in preschool um, I suppose are able to do and what we're expecting them to do because it sounds like we're going to be really disappointed and disillusioned um, I suppose it's probably like the way secondary school teachers often talk to us as primary school teachers kind of go, they don't prepare you enough. You know, sure, they can barely do this and that and the other, the things they used to be able to do 20 years ago. And maybe that's the case, but I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of uh, kind of interesting. Um, but it does say that teachers and parents placed um, a pressure, well, importance, let's say, on preschool experience in facilitating the positive transition to junior infants. Interesting how they didn't actually um, expect the primary school to be involved in facilitating the positive transition to junior infants. Um, evident, however, were variations in the experience within preschool settings in terms of how children were prepared 
Teachers especially emphasise the importance of practical and social skills that help children settle into school routines. So um, I'll give a sample quote. If they've been in preschool, you'll notice they know they have to wait their turn, they have to put up their hand, and their concentration will be that bit longer if they've been to preschool, says a teacher in a girls' school. Um, Okay, interesting. Um, And um, a parent said that it's a drastic change going from play play school and playing and everything and then straight into learning and stuff. Um, And that's true. Uh, And it shouldn't be. I would agree with that parent. We need infants to change dramatically to be an easier uh, transition or not to be an easier transition, to be a a better transition. Uh, Children are far too young to be sitting still, as it says here. Again, that reference, a sit still, seems to be something that parents expect um, preschools to uh, teach children. Um, which is not something I think primary schools want anymore. So let's move on to transition activities. How are we doing for time here? Okay, we're doing okay. So this is interesting as well, really interesting. Um, what's, uh, there's a thing called Five Bridges of Transition. I haven't heard of this, um, but they are administrative curriculum, pedagogical, child self-management, and social. And they were used as a framework for collecting information from teachers on activities to support the transition from preschool to primary school. In this study, we added items to capture homeschooled partnership to create a sixth bridge of relevance for the preschool to primary school transition. So this is all about transitions. So uh, let's have a look at them. So self-management and social bridges, the first two they tackle. The most used transition practices here in these, uh, for these bridges were those under the child self-management bridge, which involved supporting children to independently manage the new school environment, organize themselves and manage their schoolwork. Almost all teachers, so over 90%, reported that children and junior infants were taught to manage their new environment, academic work and organize themselves. So um, what do we have here? So this is what happens um, every year or some years or never really happens. So what they say, children and junior infants have their own playtime or play in a separate area. Most children have that in junior infants. Now I have to say, we do that for the first month in our school, uh, you know, in normal times, I'd say forget the COVID times. Uh, So that's uh, kind of common. Uh, Children and junior infants are integrated into school houses or other mixed age groups. Rarely ever happens. Uh, I'm glad to hear school houses, that sounds very, posh and private schoolie um, and then children and junior infants are buddied by older children mixed bag there 34% yes 51% no um, and uh, sometimes it's 15% and um, that's an interesting one I don't know what I feel about that um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have any strong feelings on it, let's say. And then on to self-management. Children and junior infants are shown how to independently manage their new school environment. It happens all the time. Children and junior infants are taught to independently manage their academic work all the time and taught how to independently organise themselves all the time. So primary school teachers say that happens basically all the time, every year. Um, highly organised classrooms, routines to familiarise children with the structure of their day and encouraging friendships were identified as transition activities that help children and junior infants, uh, which is very, very good. So let's uh, move on to the next bit on curricular or pe- and pedagogical bridges. So um, they highlight little evidence. So the findings of this highlight little evidence of a curricular and pedagogical bridge between preschools and primary schools. That's really, and I think for me, this is when I, I told you this, I think I mentioned this at the beginning. This is a key takeaway for me uh, as a primary school uh, teacher that we really don't do good transitions pedagogically between preschool and primary school. And I've talked about this a number of times on this podcast about 
how I feel anyway, that infant education um, is too curriculum focused instead of play focused, too subject focused, too sitting still focused maybe in some ways or structural and things like that. And it's, it's a huge difference. Um, and it's really, really interesting um, to kind of, um, you know, explore that. Um, so just looking at this from the study, preschool or primary school children visit each other's school to demonstrate their learning. This rarely happens um, in, in many schools. It's 81% of the time. Uh, it doesn't happen ever. Um, and preschool children are familiarized with, with the primary school before starting Again, very early happens where you have the visit from your preschoolers into the school. Now, it does happen a bit, but I thought it would happen more often, but it doesn't. 67% of the time, no. Preschool children are familiarised with the primary school curriculum, and that, thankfully, doesn't happen before they come into the uh, pri- into the section, no, into the primary school. No more than primary school children should be familiarised with the secondary school curriculum before they go to secondary school. We should be, we should be, um, I would suggest that, Uh, primary schools should meet the child where they're at not for the preschool child to meet us where we want them to be Um, and that would be I'm glad to see that never happens pedagogical there's a common pedagogical language used across preschools and primary it doesn't happen yeah and I think that's something that's a shame because it it would be very useful if it was and these two are the big no's there are shared teaching and learning policies between primary and preschool never happens in 90% of cases and primary and preschool teachers visit each other's schools to observe lessons never happens you know and these that for me they're two big takeaways we really need to have more of a connection with our preschools and maybe that's because we've so many preschools compared to primary schools and it's very difficult to expect teachers who have no time whatsoever on their timetable to leave their uh, building to to see uh, what goes on in, in preschools and maybe that's something that should happen or maybe we have just too many preschools and we need to start treating preschools as we do primary schools and start amalgamating them all and putting them under public ownership because it makes no sense to have all these little houses with little uh, places instead of more economical units where we have lots of children going to you know these places and having the same ratios but um, purpose-built uh, places rather than double-sized houses that you force deve- uh, um, is it developers, uh, the people who build houses, uh, building uh, contractors to build. They build it um, instead of a set of three de- three bedroom semi-detached. They build two three uh, three uh, three bedroom semi-detached and turn and that in its, uh, and knock the wall through, um, and that becomes a preschool. It seems a bit bizarre to me rather than having actual. Um, proper buildings and um, that um, are catered catered for preschoolers um, and so on. Um, so I don't think I have much more on that, but I do think we really, really need to, uh, I think we need to cop on a bit in this one. And I think we need to be given the powers to be able to do this uh, because I don't think we do. Uh, talking about homeschool administrative bridges, um, let's have a look at the study there. Um, there's, um, let me see... Um, the school uses a parent-teacher communication tool. Well, it's good to see that that's very high nowadays. And that wasn't always the case. And I think COVID actually helped with that one. Teachers meet with parents individually in the first term. That happens in a half of schools. I think that's to do with parent-teacher meetings um, happening in November or February, really, if we were looking at that. Induction days or events for parents are held in the first term. That happens in two thirds of cases. I think those things are kind of important and a good good way to get homeschool partnerships. I, I probably, if I was making any recommendations, that we'd increase uh, all of those. Um, administrative is the last one. Information about the school is sent to the parents of incoming junior infants happens only 78%. Gosh, I thought that'd be 100% of the of people. Like, you just, 
Would you not? I would suggest schools would do that. Preschool and primary school staff meet to plan and discuss transition arrangements. I'm not surprised. I'm actually surprised to see uh, it never happens only 59% of the time. But I'd suggest that might be the a child, maybe, that, that does. Uh, like if there's a child with additional needs or with behavioural needs or whatever it might be, they talk about that um, and that ticks that box enough. I don't think there's in-depth conversations now i i mean we do it in our school um all right but i don't think it's common practice report on individual children passed from preschool to primary school only happens 26 percent of the time that's interesting too very interesting um and that should be higher in the same ways we have to send our educational passport to secondary schools for all the good it does um transitions coordinators uh, the case study data confirmed the benefits of a dedicated role so an early years coordinator for facilitating the transitions from preschool to primary school very much focused on the early years bringing up to primary school which is interest interesting um you know i'm not sure if i agree with agree that that's fair um so anyway that's really the transition um there it's, we're not doing great i suppose um, we get also get the children's perception of schools, which is uh, something that's very important. And you'll be glad to know uh, that overwhelmingly the answer was yes to all these questions. Do you like going to school? Are you good at your schoolwork? Was very high. Um, do you work hard in class? It was very high. Do you like your teacher? It was the highest, actually. And have you made good friends in class since you started? And that was as high as all, well, 93%. So for people like me who were afraid my child might not make friends, uh, well, I wasn't really afraid of that particular, but it is one of the bigger fears. 93% of children uh, said they'd made good friends since starting uh, primary school, which is really, really nice. Um, that's a lovely way to... Um, yeah, that would be, that was a lovely uh, kind of way to you know answer those questions um, all yeses, um, and it's good to know that most children are happy in school. Um, teachers' rating of school adjustments. How did how did teachers rate the school adjustment? Um, and I'll read some of these ones. There, they seem to be fine. Are they uh, have they acquired reading readiness skills? Mostly yes, um, which is good. Improving language communication skills, yes. All of these were yeses. Um, you know, getting along with other children, listening to or following directions, participating in structured activities, learning about number shapes, pre-math skills, adapting to classroom routines, developing a positive attitude to school and learning, and the highest was developing positive relationships with teachers. Ninety-two uh, percent. <laughs> so that was uh, that was kind of interesting. But, uh, and good that basically in the majority of cases uh, all good news about being ready uh, for the various parts of primary school and really that is it they uh, conclude with a bit of a uh, I suppose um, a page and a bit of a conclusion um, they do say significant work in supporting school transitions is occurring in the Irish educational context in the first uh, five whole of government strategy for babies young children and their families 2019 to 2028 um, a key objective is to support children in their transitions to primary school the implementation plan details actions necessary to improve the current provision these include increasing information for parents about starting school providing formal transition supports to school including joint CPD and the NCA NCCA's reporting templates so that's uh, goes on about the um, 
uh, I suppose training that we need that we might need for that transition, uh, but also reporting templates like those passports, um, and that's called Mushkale. Um, I thought most schools got that nowadays. That's, I'm surprised that was so low. Um, and clarifying the types of competencies, competencies most useful for children on starting school to early childhood settings. The activities in the plan build on the NCCA summaries of evidence around transitions. So this is a bit uh, a bit wordy, but that's okay. Um, Okay, let's see some of the recommendations. I'll skip the next paragraph. It's a bit theoretical. There's still much work to be done to encourage schools to share information about children and to bridge the transition in terms of curriculum and pedagogy. Yeah, that, that was my main pickup as well. I, I was surprised I wasn't surprised, but we do need to we do need to pick up information about children when they come to us. Um I don't know how we could we, we need to we need to get um, structures in place where that can be allowed because a teacher, as we said, can't leave their classroom during the day um, because there's no one to cover them. Um, so that might be something that would be uh, a recommendation. Um, and the inspector also um, has uh, launched in there to say that that's needed as well. Um, now, I don't have much time for what that inspector says, uh, but I agree with that one in particular. The second uh, recommendation is enhancing play-based learning in primary schools is important. You could, I couldn't agree more. I'm really pleased that these are um, these are recommendations because it's it's something that I think uh, it says that children and parents view primary schools as places of work rather than play, which is really interesting. Um, and I've noted in the findings where teachers concerned of children being over-prepared in skills relating to literacy and numeracy. So a lot of preschools think they have to prepare them for work. The third uh, recommendation here, teachers emphasize social and emotional competencies as being key to a smooth transition rather than illiteracy and numeracy being the basis. And I, I, I kind of think that's something that's um, slowly but surely um, become kind of normalized. Um, I don't know too many teachers now who would expect children to be able to, you know, be focused on literacy and numeracy. I don't know too many preschools. Maybe there are that focus on teaching children how to sit still and read and write and do numbers and things like that. I think we've, 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 we're 10 years ago, you know, when Ashter, or is it 11, 12 years ago when Ashter came in, maybe there was more of an emphasis on that. I think that's finally, um, thankfully, uh, kind of uh, gone uh, a good bit. Um, and it mentions Ashter there as a, uh, one of the successes in that, I suppose. Um, it finally says, although our findings highlight these clear areas for development, there is also evidence of very good communication between preschools, primary schools and parents with numerous transition activities and communication modes to, to in use. The, so, I mean, essentially what they're saying here is, uh, although there is lots of uh, room for improvement, we did see some good practice as well. Um, and that is really all they have to say. So it's fairly enlightening, I would suggest, uh, to you. a really interesting um, report. Um, I said about 35, 36, 37 pages uh, long. I hope I've summarised it as best as I can in under an hour. Um, and um, I think, you know, just to bring it back to the title of this podcast, that if I were the Minister for Education, I definitely think my takeaway here, um, I guess, you know, I spent a lot of time there on on the first bit about parents' choice. Um, I think as if I were the Minister for Education, I'd probably start a campaign about um, around um, educating parents that schools are kind of the same. And this idea of choice is hogwash, really. It's, it's silly and reputation and stuff like that. 
you know, and maybe it suits the government not to do that, but if I were the Minister for Education, I definitely would be starting an education campaign about the importance of going to your local school if you can for uh, for all reasons. Um, and that obviously there would need me, I would need to do a lot of work on um, patronage and getting rid of that. But if we got rid of that, then there'd be a lot of uh, room for go to your local school for goodness sake. Um, and the other thing I would do if I were the Minister for Education, I think is really on that uh, transition really from preschool to primary school and I suppose I would be freeing up primary school teachers to um, um, observe uh, preschool pupils that would be coming to their school and make those links a lot stronger. So two things that I would do if I were the Minister for Education. So there you have it, um, really interesting report from uh, the uh, Children's School Lives as always, really meaty stuff in there, stuff to chew over, I would suggest. Um, over, overall, quite positive, I'd say. Um, a few things. My my highlight, uh, if I can call it, give it a highlight, was that Gwail School parent who said, going forward, uh, to really cement my view and many people's view of Gwail School people. Um, I'm only being unfair. I know I am only teasing. I promise you I'm only teasing. I know there are... It's a few, that's all I can say, a few people that are genuinely passionate about the Irish language and really want it to be uh, the, the spoken language of the country. But we do know that there's so many parents gaming that system uh, to give their child an advantage in the future. I, um, I, I, I suppose the last, hopefully, you know, in the last again, we talked about this in the Finnish episode there uh, where they have Swedish language schools and how parents game that system to give their children advantages. And you can see that children Children um, who have gone to these Swedish language schools tend to uh, perform best in these uh, league table kind of things. And I think, you know, it's a real, real shame that language is being abused in that way uh, that we would use a language that no, isn't the national. Well, it is you know, OK. In, in Finland, it's not the national language. In Ireland, yes, it's our national language, but it isn't our spoken national language. Um, let's say to give it a, a pen, only 3% of people speak Irish every day. And we have a lot of people, more than 3% of people sending their children to Gwelskolona, um, which uh, and, and for the majority of those cases, we have to admit they're gaming the system. They're trying to get an advantage um, and so on. So I suppose that was my highlight there really in terms of that parent who said going forward. But um, look, that's me only teasing a little bit, um, as I said. Um, look, if you've enjoyed this episode or any other episode of this podcast, please feel free to subscribe. We'd love to have you subscribing and please leave a review. Um, you know, you can give out to me about my anti-Gwell school rant there. I'm not against Gwell school. I would love it if all schools were Gwell school. Uh, but we also have to make a decision of whether we want to speak Irish in this country or not. And if we do want to speak Irish in this country, well, every school should be a Gwell school. And that would be my uh, take on it. Look, I'll stop ranting about Gwell schools. Let's go back. Uh, let's enjoy this study for what it was a lovely study on preschool to primary school transitions and thanks a million to the researchers under jennifer simmons a fantastic um, piece of work and i cannot wait for the next one um, and apart from that all i have to say is thank you so much for listening take care we'll see you next week goodbye <laughs>